So now it sounds like you're in nine markets. We've scaled very heavily. A lot of that was in 2022, you know, so our big sort of goal was to, I think it was to do a hundred transactions this year when we started in. And, you know, we definitely don't need to be in nine markets to do that, yeah. but we sort of were quickly approaching that hundred deals this year mark quicker than we expected. So we just basically just doubled down and decided to keep growing. And the reason that we opted to do that and why we're able to do that is again, where this is game-changing information guaranteed to raise your real estate wholesaling business with actionable steps you can take immediately to navigate the ins and outs of wholesaling and start making money today. Join us as we put our guests in the hot seat and dive deep to dissect their strategies for success to enable you to duplicate their results. You're listening to Wholesaling Inc., the only show dedicated to making you a fortune in wholesaling. What's up, guys? You're listening to the Wholesaling Inc. podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Hardy. And today I've got Mike DeHaan on the show. Mike is a previous student from a year ago, actually. Student of Virtual Investing Mastery. The best place to get your virtual investing, virtual wholesaling education. Mike came into my program. He was not virtual, but he was in a market that was telling him he needed to go virtual. And with the help of the group and that coaching support, he got that courage. And now Mike is in nine different markets. The guy's Mm -hmm. killing it. And in today's episode, I'm going to ask him all the details about how he grew from not virtual at all to now nine markets. That's crazy. So Mike, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks, Lauren. Appreciate it. And yeah, it uh, definitely is a lot changed from a year ago. It's funny because we were relatively established in our local market, I guess, when we started working together. But there was something about just getting outside of our immediate sphere that was tricky. And you kind of helped us get over that. So yeah. yeah. So tell me, how did you get started? Like, give us a little about your like background. Yeah. So I don't come from like a real estate background. I kind of went the traditional path. I went to college, got an engineering degree. I worked for an engineer for about five years. After five years of that, I decided that I hated it in 2018. So I just quit. I didn't really have a plan. You know, I just had a sort of an entrepreneurial mindset. And so I knew that I wanted to work for myself and have my own business. So I dabbled in a bunch of things and ended up getting into real estate because, you know, every single business and wealth generation book that you read leans on real estate pretty heavily. So I started getting into real estate, primarily flipping houses. Wholesaling wasn't really on the map for me at that point. So I was just like buying stuff from wholesalers, buying things from realtors. This was back when you could get stuff on the market pretty easily. And then the end of, I guess, 2019, I could see that opportunities were becoming fewer and further between, you know, which is funny to think about like how hard it was to find stuff like last year versus back then. So the margins weren't there that I wanted. So I decided maybe I'll start sourcing my own deals. So I partnered up with my now business partner, who's also my college best friend. And we just basically started, you know, marketing, sending mailers, doing cold calling and just sort of seeing what happened and trying to figure out the sales process with no real base. We basically just learned how to pull some data and just start going for it. And, you know, it took us about six months to get our first deal. But after that, you know, it was kind of off to the races and we were able to start growing pretty steadily up until we met you. So, yeah. You know, what's so funny, what I caught is that you said in 2019, it started to get Mm -hmm. harder to find deals on the market. Was that in Spokane, Washington? It was. Yeah. Okay. So this is the power of virtual investing because for me, it started to get harder to find deals on the market, like on the MLS, probably mm. 2014. Oh, yeah. That I bet. just shows you how every market is not the same. And I was in a very highly saturated market. I would compare mm-hmm. Orange County to like 
Manhattan, you know, oh, yeah. New York markets, like Miami, something like that. So you were yeah. in a more like, I would say not as competitive. So you were still able to ride that MLS wave and buy properties, you know, the traditional way off the MLS by even buying mm -hmm. fixer uppers at enough discount to be able to fix them up and flip them up to 2019. And it wasn't until 2019 that you were feeling the burn, right? That's crazy exactly. to think, right? Like, and so I was direct to seller right out of the gate. I never even did MLS because it was always challenging in my market. So that's yeah. why we go virtual, like, because our markets, you know, some it, certain mm -hmm. things change or I say your cheese moved. If you guys don't know that reference, it's from a book, <laughs> but you know, so that's really, really interesting. Then I really appreciate another thing that you said is that it took you six months of trying to figure out direct to seller marketing before you got your first deal. Yeah, it was a grind. And mainly one of the biggest issues, me and my business partner, we were both engineers by degree, right? We didn't have sales skills. So we were going into this from like an asset based viewpoint. And we would go into these conversations with sellers and just be focused on the house. We didn't have any empathy towards our situations. We didn't know how to close a deal pretty much. Right. And it took us a while to figure that out and you know also too since we weren't didn't have a sales background we would be like embarrassed by our offers right which i yeah. know is a big thing that so many people deal with when they first start like i'll always remember the first appointment that we ran and the first offer that we made, we literally sat in this living room with these people for like two hours and just like gave them this whole spiel that was just a bunch of nonsense, right? Because we already knew what our offer was going to be. We yeah. were so embarrassed to say it. And then, you know, after literally two hours of sitting there, we're seeing them get like visually frustrated that we're still intruding on their day. And then my business partner just spews out the number. He's like, it's like, we're going to be at 135. And then they both just like freeze. And the wife just goes, you need to get out right now. And no. then they start like, yeah. <laughs> and then they start fighting and we're literally like up and we're just like moving towards the door and they're just like screaming at each other because this whole thing, it was very interesting. Situation. Oh <laughs> my God. That is so funny. So yeah. you're crediting your six months of struggle to just lack of sales skills. Yeah, very heavily for sure. I mean, you know, figuring out the marketing systems and like building a CRM and all that sort of stuff wasn't our major hurdle because coming from an engineering background, especially me, I was a systems engineer working in a Boeing factory. So that oh stuff was fine. Like it's data, you know, it's setting up software. That's all easy, but the sales skills were not there at all. That's <laughs> <is> so funny. <laughs> Like you're sitting and you're like, you did a two hour sales presentation and then yeah. they start yelling at each other. That is a really funny story. Thank you so much for sharing. You know, and I'm the opposite where sales is like really easy for me because I have such low self-esteem that I want everybody to like me. So mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> that's totally a joke, but I mean, yeah. not really. I'm good with people. Like I'm a people person, but I was a mess with my CRM for years. I am yeah. so lucky that I know the owner of Resimply and he has helped me like personally on board, like my CRM, if it wasn't for Sherrod, like I'd be a mess. My CRM is now very good, but I bet your CRM is out of control with your background. I bet it counts like everything. It has all these bells and whistles. So we actually use Ari simply now because it is such an easy turnkey system. I mean, like we've tried several different things over the years. And I mean, we veered away from it a while back just because there was some of the features that we needed. And then we always end up coming back because it's so simple. Oh yeah. And 
It's it was made for our business. In in any other CRM, you're gonna have to customize it to your business. Mm -hmm. We're like Sharad just did that for you. So it's amazing. I got it on it this year and I'm obsessed with it. In fact, guys, if you guys want 50% off your first month, then you can go ahead and give it a shot. They have unlimited onboarding, which I love. That's like what your non-technical person like myself needed. Believe me, I scheduled Mm -hmm. onboarding like twice a week for like three months. So I want you guys to check out a training I put together on it. Go to scalewithresimply.com. When you guys sign up with Resimply, use my code virtual and they will customize your drip campaigns to look just like mine. And it'll follow the protocol that I have on the training program of scalewithresimply.com. And you also get 50% off your first month. So anyway, yeah. back to that. Since we got on the conversations of CRMs, that is very interesting that even an engineer-minded person is like, no, Resimply all the way. That's awesome. Yeah. And how- with Ari Simply too, if you have a team and you're worried about training them up, just schedule an onboarding call for them and Ari Simply will train them for you so you don't have to waste any time. That's we awesome. That's what we do with all of our sales guys. Yeah. That is awesome. So let's talk about your transition then from, you know, your backyard, Spokane, to then going virtual. What was that like? You joined my yeah. program. You weren't virtual yet, right? And then you mm-hmm. started... I don't know. What did you do? What was next? Yeah. So, you know, the reason we started to look virtual was because with how our business was growing and the different marketing channels, and I mean, Spokane is a kind of a limited size market. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not super big. It's like greater area, 500,000 ish people. And so with how our business had grown in our marketing budget locally, we were at a point where if we wanted to keep doing more deals local, we had to spend like significantly more money and the returns on our money was getting smaller and smaller, right? Mm -hmm. So we're like, well, we have the system here. We know how the process works. We're getting like the lower 80%. Instead of fighting for that harder 20%, why don't we just go and find the lower 80% in another market? Mm -hmm. You know, so we dabbled, you know, watched YouTube videos tried to figure out all these different things. We'd both been listening to Wholesaling Inc. for a while and we'd heard your show and we decided to reach out and just, you know, give it a shot. And, you know, the biggest thing that us being engineers, again, was the just paralysis by analysis, right? Going Mm -hmm. through, trying to figure out which market to do it in, you know, how are we going to find boots on the ground? How do we know where the good neighborhoods are? All that sort of stuff. And you did a great job of helping us sort of overcome that. And the funny thing was, once we got into the program and started going through your stuff, we realized that like the things that people worry about, like the best neighborhoods and, you know, is it like an ideal market and all sort of stuff, as long as there's an investor presence, which there is pretty much everywhere, it really doesn't matter. Right. Honestly. Mm -hmm. And you can just, you know, the worst case scenario, we were in a position that, you know, our business is doing pretty well. So like worst case scenario, we waste a few months of money on marketing and then we go somewhere else, but we already have the basic concept down. So, you know, ultimately we just took a leap and we ended up going to Knoxville, Tennessee for our first market, which is, you know, completely opposite of the country to us. And the reason we chose there was we sort of viewed it as a similar type of market to Spokane in the way that it was similar size-ish. And Spokane is kind of like a forgotten market next to like Seattle. And so we looked at Knoxville versus Nashville. Knoxville's kind of hot now, but back then Knoxville versus Nashville were like, it's kind of close. No one talks about it. It's never been talked about on any sort of podcast specifically. Like, you know, you'll hear other podcasts, people will blow up these different markets and we never heard that one. (laughs) Exactly. Phoenix, you know, like there's all sorts of random ones that people do. So, yeah. yeah. So we decided to give it a shot and jump in over there and there we went. So that's crazy. And then you mentioned, why don't we do the low hanging fruit in different mm-hmm. markets? So like, what do you mean by that? Yeah. So, I mean, you know how it is when you're working with sellers, right? Like there's always the sellers that come through that are like, I want to sell right now. Or there's the yeah. sellers that come through that are like, 
I obviously have a motivation. I just need to be, you know, sold a little bit first. I need to have a little bit more rapport first. And then outside of those, there's like the long follow-ups, you know, that are like six month, eight month, nine month follow-ups. And those always tend to make up a good amount of marketing just because, you know, that's where a lot of the money comes from is from the follow-up, right? So our sort of premise as we started to look into these remote markets, Knoxville included, was we're not going to bother with the people that are, you know, kind of going to be pushing us off for a long while. And we're mostly just going to go in with more of like a mass marketing approach and search for those ones that are ready to go right now. So that way, what it does is it it reduced our time and our team resources, right, Mm. while still allowing us to make money. So our our total ROI is a little bit lower on our marketing because we are missing opportunities, admittedly, but we are able to, you know, basically just heavily focus on those strong opportunities. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you're making money, you're making money. Like we don't need to be squeezing like all the juice out of the marketing. So. Yeah, that makes sense. And, you know, honestly, in this business, you don't have to do what Mike does and you don't have to do what Lauren does. Even like Mm -hmm. what I do, my model changes, right? Like I had more of a, yeah, let's try multiple markets and let's be in more markets kind of mentality for a while because I wasn't flipping as much. I took kind of a step back from house flipping. And then I started realizing like, I really missed the house flipping. Like that gave me a lot of joy and like purpose. Like I felt, I love that. Like I love house flipping and building houses and stuff like that. And so I wanted to bring that back. Well, I'm not gonna flip houses in six, seven different markets that especially right now when it's so hard to find construction resources. So I had to, you know, really think about what I want, what, brings me joy in this business. What do I want 2022 to look like? And I decided, you know what, I'm going to pick a market that I feel like where I can get the best margin, the best spread, where I can be the most competitive. One of my markets I was in was starting to get really, really ridiculously saturated. So I was like, I think it's time to just kind of like If we get low-hanging fruit there, wholesale it. But let's focus my efforts on flipping. And I actually, instead of going like the big team model, like I'm actually scaling down because I found that I don't have to close as many deals, but I still make the same amount of money. My profit margin is just better. Mm -hmm. And I'm just a lot more careful now about like my expenses and I'm just going for like the better deals. So I don't have to do as many of them. So, you know, what I did do today right now, like this is new. This is a new change for me. A year ago, I was in like multiple markets and I love that about this business. Like you can kind of mold it to like what you want to do. So now it sounds like you're in nine markets. Crazy. We've scaled very heavily. A lot of that was in 2022, you know, so our big sort of goal was to, I think it was to do a hundred transactions this year when we started in. And, you know, we definitely don't need to be in nine markets to do that, but we sort of were quickly approaching that hundred deals this year mark quicker than we expected. So we just basically just doubled down and decided to keep growing. And the reason that we opted to do that and why we're able to do that is again, where, you know, pursuing the low hanging fruit, but we found that when we were in Knoxville, the biggest challenge was kind of like I mentioned before, when we were looking at these areas was knowing the best neighborhoods and also to finding strong buyers when you're not present in the community. People tend to be a little bit more skeptical when you're outside of the area. Yes. Everyone says if you have a good deal, you know, people will buy it, which is true. But I mean, if you have like a mediocre deal, 
people are more hesitant if you're not from the area. But if you have a representation, they're more likely to, to buy it, right? Yeah. We find that a lot in Spokane. So what we started doing is at different real estate masterminds and things like that, that you know we're pretty active in just like the national community. We would connect with really strong buyers that wanted to flip or had strong connections in those markets. We would partner up with them and say like, hey, look, we'll find deals. You find buyers or you buy it yourself and we'll just split things 50-50. Mm-hmm. And it's worked out pretty well because it's allowed us to increase our volume exponentially without having to solve that local problem of like, how do we move these properties? How do we know where to go? Because we now have a local expert in these areas. So you're saying you basically joint venture now. And you know what's so funny? Like I had this same situation. There's two markets that we were able to figure it out virtually and like people didn't care that we were from Mm -hmm. like California. And we figured out who all the players were and like it was pretty seamless. Another market I was in, I experienced that exact same thing. Like, yeah, maybe it's not a slammer deal, but I'm like, these numbers make sense. Why is no one making an offer? Like, why is no one raising their hand? Mm -hmm. I think it was because we were like just not local. Like there's something about that culture in the area and they just are real skeptical of, you know, someone who's not local. And I ran into the same issue. So I started thinking, I go, you know, if I flip everything I want, I get to keep whatever I want here. And I work on the flipping and I don't have to have a disposition manager, you Mm -hmm. know, so I can cut that salary off my books. And then I can just get a JV to move the deals that I know I just am going to wholesale. Then like, isn't that the same thing? And then how drama free is your wholesaling now? Because you have like someone that knows what they're doing in the area. It's so nice. Yeah, It's much better. And not only that, but like a lot of the people that we work with, they're kind of big dogs in the area anyway. So a lot of them just buy our deals outright. Right. And, you know, so it makes it even easier. And to just to make sure that they are equally as invested, you know, we split our marketing costs. So it brings down our overhead. So our margins are actually still relatively high as if we were doing the full circuit thing ourselves, because we now have like a partner that's helping contribute towards the cost of running the business there. How do you structure that? How do you structure the split of marketing costs? I mean, so we basically just have our typical marketing costs that we run. It's the same system we run everywhere. That's a combination, you know, of mail and texting and all the same stuff everyone else does. And we just send an invoice and we just say like, here's the total cost, send us some money. Or if they have a deal that we wholesale, then they want us to just like keep an extra if it's closing, we'll just do that. And it's just straight down the middle. It works out pretty well. Wait, so you have though nine different markets. Are you taking all your marketing costs divided by nine or is it for marketing for that area? Oh, gotcha. It's by market. So basically we have, yeah, we have like a different partnership and arrangement in every single market. Got it. Okay. That is something I thought about because my JV was like, I want 50, 50. And I started thinking, I'm like, but I'm paying for marketing here. Like exactly. You got to pitch in a little bit like, but Mm -hmm. I don't have it as like, it's hard to separate because what about like your employees? I'm sure you have some employees that work multiple markets. Do they pay for that? So they're all on commission. All our sales guys are commission only. So it works out that there's no real overhead. So we have overhead in terms of VAs. I have quite a few VAs that work for me doing data stuff, but we just work that into our budget because it's relatively low cost overall. Do they contribute to the commissions though of your sales rep? Mm -hmm. Yep. So basically we have, you know, that all comes out of the commissions. So if they are buying a deal from us, right, there's a wholesale fee that they will pay us. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, that's basically usually market wholesale fee. And then if we wholesale a deal, all of the commissions and, you know, any other costs associated with the transaction, if we're helping with cash for keys or things like that, that all comes out of the top. And basically what we split is the bottom line, the net. That's cool. 
Mm-hmm. That's cool. Well, thanks. Yeah. I need to work on that. I need to work on my JV agreement. So that's awesome. That's good advice. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. Well, Mike, I mean, you're crushing it. And I think anyone listening to this would be extremely inspired. So thank you so much for sharing your story. You're doing really, really well. So I am so proud that you came out of the Virtual Investing Mastery Program. We've made some changes. In fact, we are actually launching a 2.0 version of nice. the program because times have changed and mm-hmm. the market is changing. And I wanted to make sure that virtual investing mastery is addressing these market changes. So we are including more support. We have a support call every week. Those are the ones you said you used to sit on or whatever. And that's where you get me every single week. We've got a forum that I'm personally answering every single day. And we do once a month in-person coaching at my office now. I call it office hours. It's the fourth Wednesday of every month. So if you guys want to be a part of that, Make sure you guys check out virtualinvestingmastery.com. That's www.virtualinvestingmastery.com. Mike, thanks so much for coming on the show. If anybody wants to get a hold of you, do you have like a social media handle you want to drop? Yeah. Easiest way is on Instagram. It's at Mike underscore invests. I post, I wish I had more interesting like house photos and things like that. But you know, being virtual, I don't really go to properties. Like that's kind of expectation versus reality of being in this business is, you know, people think they're going to be going to these properties, doing all these cool projects. But realistically, I mean, I don't leave my house, honestly, from like Monday through Friday, most weeks. (laughs) I know that has been my hardest for the last couple of years that I was just doing virtual wholesaling for a while. That was my hardest thing was filling up my social media feed with actually interesting photos of properties because I wasn't there. They're virtual. I I had the same issue. I now have them because I'm flipping. And so I have like my project Mm -hmm. manager send me photos, but same thing, same thing. That's so funny, but you guys should go follow him anyway. Mike, thanks so much for coming on the show. Guys, thank you so much for listening. If you think this episode would inspire someone else, perhaps somebody who is thinking about going virtual, make sure you share it. Guys, thanks for listening and I will see you next time. That's all for this episode. Your next step to success is to continue the conversation over at wholesalinginc.com by joining the mailing list as well as get your chance to book a strategy session to learn the systems and become part of the tribe and work personally with one of our amazing coaches. We'll see you next episode with more ways to make you a fortune in wholesaling.